uh, a sort of mini-series over the next, not what, this week and then a couple of uh, weeks in um, August. And I I just want to look briefly uh, at the story of the Exodus Um, and uh, just uh, take a few things from there. And and, uh, I didn't speak to Jo before she prepared the worship, but actually a lot of what we've been singing about today comes into what I want to say today. Um, and I've entitled it, uh, uh, I've got a couple of titles for it. first one is, uh, So You Want to Go Back to Egypt. That's the title. That's, and then we're going to look at the people of Israel having been released from Egypt, wanting to go back there. Or a, a better title is Breaking the Slave Mentality. Breaking the Slave Mentality. And, um, and so we just want to quickly look, I want to give a brief overview of the story. Uh, and then look in a bit more detail at, at what was going on in, in these people. Now, um, just as a, a potted history, uh, under uh, Joseph, um, they, um, God's people, uh, the family of Jacob, basically went to live in Egypt. He, he delivered Egypt um, by being a great leader and, and helped them in time of famine. And so uh, they settled there, and uh, they flourished, and they grew and for a time it was wonderful and lots of, uh, lots of children and, and the people of God flourished in Egypt. Um, but then after a while, uh, the, the, the pharaoh that was in charge uh, when Joseph was there died and other pharaohs came along and they started seeing God's people, the Israelites, as a threat. And so they uh, decided, or the, one of the pharaohs decided to put them into slavery, to put them into bondage, to stop them becoming a threat uh, uh, joining with their enemies and overthrowing Egypt. And so now God's people, instead of being uh, really well liked, they were now in bondage, in slavery. And, uh, and worst was to come, um, because they kept increasing in numbers, uh, the order went out that all the, all the boys that were born would be killed. So these people were really suffering. And, uh, and so we, we read in... Um, Exodus chapter 2, verse 23. Uh, it says, During that long period, the king of Egypt died. The Israelites groaned in their slavery and cried out. And their cry for help, because of their slavery, went up to God. God heard their groaning, and he remembered his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So God looked on the Israelites and was concerned about them. So we have here God's people crying out to God. Um, and we have here as well God saying, oh, I'm concerned about them. Now, in reality, this is just a, uh, a sort of a way that the, the writer of Exodus was, was putting the phrases, because God had already started to work. The preceding chapters were about the birth of Moses uh, and his, uh, his uh, miraculous um, uh, protection in, in, uh, in the river, in the bulrushes, and, and then being taken into Pharaoh's palace. So God was already at work. He was always ready. And Moses was going to be the saviour, the one that was going to bring the people out of slavery. And so God was at work. And God was always going to be at work because these were his people. These were his chosen people. And as soon as they cried out to him, God was going to hear. Now, uh, just moving on, Moses was prepared uh, through various events in his life. I'm not going to go into the detail. He came back from uh, Midian, where he, he'd went for a number of years, 
and through various signs and wonders and miraculous things that took place, um, he led the people out of slavery. Um, and of course, the, the, the wonderful, uh, the last uh, wonderful deliverance was when the lamb was sacrificed, the blood was put on the doorpost, and the people were saved, uh, whereas the Egyptians weren't. And that is a wonderful picture of our salvation. Uh, that uh, Jesus has died for us and we are saved through trusting in his blood. And, and what I love about the Old Testament is so much of what the New Testament is about is mirrored by these stories. But I'm not going to focus on that as wonderful as that is. You see, these people were now free. They had been released from slavery. But then that's when the trouble started for them. Because the first thing that happened to them is that they went out, they were given loads of gifts, they were, they were showered with stuff, and then they got to the Red Sea. And in front of them was this Red Sea, and then the Egyptians changed their mind. And suddenly uh, the Pharaoh said, right, we're going to go after them, we're losing all our labour, and so he started pursuing them. And this is what we read in, in Exodus chapter 14. And verse 10, it says, As Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up, and there were the Egyptians marching after them. They were terrified and cried out to the Lord. And they said to Moses, Was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us to the desert to die? What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? Didn't we say to you in Egypt, Leave us alone, let us serve the Egyptians? It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. Now, what happened was this. They went along with this idea of being released. They they cried out to God. God answered their prayer. And then they got released, but they faced something they weren't expecting. They came across an event uh, that that they hadn't signed up to. They, They were facing something, and they were looking at this thinking, what have we done? What? Why? You know... We were, well, they'd forgotten what it was like in Egypt, to be honest, by that stage. And, uh, and they faced a circumstance which they hadn't prepared for. They weren't ready for, and they panicked. They didn't know what to do. Now, the problem with this is that this kept happening. So, in uh, Exodus, so, we know that the end of the story is uh, that uh, God, through Moses, parted the sea... They went through, the Egyptians came through, and then the sea closed on them. So they were free again. But then a few, a few moments later, in Exodus chapter 16 and 1 to 3, it says this. So the whole Israel community set out from Elim and came to the desert of Sin, which is between Elim and Sinai, on the 15th day of the second month after they had come out of Egypt. In the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The Israelites said to them, "'If only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt.' There were, we were sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. But you have brought us into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. So, they grumbled again. They wanted to go back to Egypt. And God miraculously provided for them again with manna and quail. But again, it's difficult to believe, but in Exodus 17 and verse 3, it says this, But the people were thirsty for water there. 
And they grumbled against Moses. They said, why did you bring us out of Egypt? To make us and our children and livestock die of thirst. And again, God provided. Now, the difficulty we have here is these people were experiencing the miraculous things of God. And yet somehow they weren't getting it. Somehow the events that they were facing, the things that were happening in their life, was just too much to bear. They couldn't grasp what God was and what he was doing because of the events in their life. And they had a mindset that was, this is too difficult to cope with. I knew where I was as a slave. I understood slavery. We were told what to do. I was utterly powerless, but that was my life and and I understood what it was like. And actually, I want to go back there because I was promised freedom and this is hard. And I don't want this. And, and, and we see it today, actually. In, uh, um, there's various reports on this. When, uh, when there are some uh, people that have spent time in prison and had their freedom taken away, that when they get released, they can't cope with uh, freedom. They can't cope with what it's like outside. They're, they're, there's, choi- there's too many choices. There's too much they can do. And, and there's, there's um, evidence that what they tend to do, some of these people, is they commit other crimes so they can get put back in prison. Because they know where they stand there. They've got no power, but they're told what to do. They'd rather have slavery and imprisonment than freedom. And it's because they can't face, or they, they are struggling to face what's going on. Now the reality of it is that sometimes when we come Christians, when we come to Christ, we face things that we weren't expecting. We face situations in our life, we face issues and, and uh, events that happen personally or as a church uh, that we weren't expecting. And, and we think, well, wait a minute, well, I didn't sign up to this. Surely, surely as a Christian I, I'm going to have a life that is just wonderful and, and full of, of good things and, and, and actually I've got this, this thing that I'm facing and I didn't sign up for this. That wasn't in the script. And, and we think, well, you know, that, God, what are you doing? This, this isn't right. Surely this isn't what Christianity is about. Well, actually, the Bible never promises those that come to him an, an easy life. In fact, the, Jesus said of himself, in this world you will face trouble. He, he, he doesn't beat around the bush. There are things that we will face. But he then goes on to say, but I've overcome the world. So in the midst of the trouble, there is hope promised. And the issue for the people of Israel is that they understood the trouble. They just didn't get the promise. And this is very clearly shown as we go back and go back to Exodus chapter 6. And these are very key verses for what uh, was going to happen in the future. Exodus 6, 6 to 9. It says that, therefore... So this is Moses coming back, and God says to him, tell the people what I've promised. And that promise was this, you're going to come into a land flowing with milk and honey, a wonderful land. Tell them that promise. I've promised it. Tell them it. 
So it says, Therefore say to the Israelites, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will flee you, free you from, your, uh, from being slaves to them. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and, will, uh, and with mighty acts of judgment. I will take you as my own people, and I will be your God. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God, who brought you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. And I will bring you to the land I swore, an uplifted hand, to give to Abraham, to Isaac and to Jacob. I will give it to you as a possession. I am the Lord. Wonderful promise. We'll come back to this, but dependent purely on God. There was no caveats there. But this is what happened in verse 9. Moses reported this to the Israelites, but they did not listen to him because of their discouragement and cruel bondage. They had this promise. They had a promise that they would enter a land flowing with milk and honey. They had this wonderful, wonderful promise, but they never believed it. They never got hold of it. Their circumstances, their situation was too great for them to stand back and look at God and the promise that he's made. And so they never believed it. Which is why every time they faced an issue, they thought, oh, what are we going to do now? You can just imagine them coming up to uh, uh, the, 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 the Red Sea. And they looked at the Red Sea and they thought, oh, oh, the Egyptians are coming. Red sea. Right, what do we need? Boat. boat. Did, did anybody pick up a boat? We were given loads of stuff by the Egyptians. Any boats? N- no boats. Th- there was a boat, but it was too heavy, so I didn't bring it. Ah, right. We haven't got a boat. Ah, right, we, we, uh, we can't do anything. Moses, Moses, you, you're going to... Moses, are you going to sort this out? I don't trust Moses. No, no. We, want, we need to go back. You can see their thinking. We can't do this. I, I haven't got resources to get across this. I, we, haven't got, we haven't got anything to fight these people with. This leader, I don't know what he's like. I don't really trust him. Oh, he's not, he's not going to do it. We better go back. And all the way through, they kept looking at themselves. We've got no food. Have you got any, got any food? Did you bring food from Egypt? Well, I did, but it's stale now. Oh, no, no good. Moses, Moses? is he going to do something? Well, I don't trust him. Oh. They kept looking at themselves, the people around them, what resources they had, and they concluded, this isn't going to work. What they'd forgotten to do, and what they hadn't done, is to look at the God who had chosen them, and who had promised, who had promised something for them. You see, Moses was different. He had encountered God, he'd been given this promise, and he chose to believe it. This is what enabled Moses to keep going all the way through. He believed what God had said. He'd met God, he'd seen God at the burning bush, he'd encountered God at various times in his life, he'd seen God in the miracles, he knew what God was like, and he got the promise, and actually said, I'm going to believe this promise, come what may. And whatever I face, I'm going to go back to the God I know and the promise that he's made. And that's what I'm going to rest on. So he didn't give up. He got a bit frustrated. Now, what you have to say is that Moses at times did get a little bit alarmed by the situation. 
Being somewhat alarmed by situations is not a problem. Situations will come upon us, will come to us, that we don't understand. That we can't fathom. And they will shake us, and they will, they will try us. But that's not, that's not the issue. Moses was shaken by some of this stuff, but he went back to the God of the promise. And he said, well, God's promised this. I can't quite work it out, but he's promised this. And I'm going to believe it. Now, I've, I've got in my pocket here a five-pound note. Okay. Um, Samuel, right, at the end of the meeting, I'm going to give you this five-pound note, okay? Right, now, Samuel's doing the, uh, the words, he's doing a great job. I'm not giving it to you, because you're doing the words, okay? I'm just going to give it to you. Now, very simple question. What does Samuel have to do to get the five-pound note? Nothing. Nothing, okay? Well, actually, he's got to be here at the end of the evening. Now, if he decides that I'm not going to be true to my word, he might, you know, in five minutes, might say, I'm going to leave. I'm just going to go. Not going to do that, are you, Samuel? No. <laughs> Please don't, I've got a few more verses. No. Um, but it doesn't depend on him. That promise that I've made depends on me being faithful and that's it uh, and, and he just needs to stay to the end he needs to endure my preach for another few minutes <laughs> the hardship and the toil of that and then he will have the promise and so we often look at situations and challenges like the people of Israel did, and we look at ourselves and we think, how do I get through this? How do I cope with this? What do I need to do? What are, what's my resources in achieving these promises? In getting over this problem? And we look at ourselves and we conclude, rightly, I can't do this. And then we think, oh, okay, let's look to the church leaders. Jamie, Tim, you've got to sort this out for me because I can't cope. And then you start looking at us and then you think, oh, oh, I don't know about them. <laughs> because we're no different to you guys. I, I don't have all the resources to sort this out. But we have a faithful God. And we have his promises. And at that time, when we're facing personal difficulties in our lives, when we're facing difficulties, or as a church... You know, you could say to ourselves, ah, you know, why haven't we seen more people saved recently? Why haven't more people come along? Why haven't we seen more impact in the community? Why haven't we seen more healings? And we look at ourselves and say, oh, I just need to try harder with this healing thing. Actually, it's wonderful that we do have testaments. We have people. It's great. God is at work. Uh, so I, I, you know, but you know, there's there's a cry in each of our hearts, isn't there? My heart. I, I want to see more. I want to see more people saved. I want to see more people here, and I want to see greater healings. That's in my heart, and I, I want to see that. I want to see more of the community changed and affected. And we can look at our, we can think of that and think, well, why isn't this happening? And why are there these difficulties 
in our lives. Why did the water come down and flood the floor again? That's what these tables are, by the way. That's why we haven't got a PA at the moment, because it's got water in it. Uh, and, you know, we had, you know, for those that know, we had a flood um, about nine months ago. And you think, God, what, what, you know, and then you think, oh, we've got to sort this out. And we think, oh, we haven't got the money to do it. And you think, no, no, we're looking at this the wrong way. Amen. God's promised something. Amen. God's promised something. Amen. I will depend upon the promise of God, not on my own resources. So in 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 7 it says this. Though now for a little while you may have to suffer griefs in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold which perishes though refined by the fire may result in praise, glory and honour when Jesus Christ is revealed. You see, I wonder whether God had planned these challenges for the people of God to test their faith so that bit by bit they grew to the state where they saw the promises of God, they believed the promise of God, they saw the miracles of God so that when they got to the promised land and they saw the giants they, one voice said we can do this that I think was the plan these trials they were going through were a testing of faith testing of belief testing of the promise how much do you believe the promise the trials that we face is God saying, how much do you believe the promise? The promises of God. They, unfortunately, they didn't go back and think, actually, we haven't, we haven't done very well here. Let's just, let's just change our mind. Let's go back to the promise. Let's see God. Let's, let's change our thinking about this promise. We, we were under trial and under difficulties. We struggled to believe it then, but now I'm going to choose to believe it now. They could have done that. And then if they'd done that, by the time they got to the promised land and faced the giants, they would have gone in. But they didn't. Every time, they just went back to their own resources and, and they just wanted to get back to a place where they just knew. It was, a, it was a horrible place. But they knew it. They knew what it was like. You see, we need to get to that point of trusting what God has said over the circumstances that we face. Amen. Both personally and corporate. Amen. Because God is faithful. God never says anything that he's not going to fulfil. Nothing in this word of God is there by accident. God never said, oh, I don't mean that. Oh, I better, oh, that's a bit tricky. He never says that. He has put down promises for us to get hold of. 2 Peter chapter 1 verse 3 says this. His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. The promises of God that we rely on enable us to participate in the divine nature, which means that as we get hold of the promises of God, so we understand who we are as children of God, how much God loves us, and what he's got for us in the future. And we then participate, we experience for ourselves what it is to know the promises of God. And it gives us great hope. 
it gives us great hope. It gives us great endurance so we can go through these trials and we can say, you're not going to define my future. You're not going to get in the way. I'm not going to say, I've had enough of this. This is too much for me. I'm going back. I can't cope. I'm going to say, no, this is a trial, but God's faithful and God's promise. So some of the promises of God. Personal ones. I will hear and answer prayer. He promises that. Whenever we pray to him, he hears us. He will answer us. I will be with you always, Matthew chapter 28. Nothing will separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, Romans 8. All things work together for the good of those who love him. And my God will meet all your needs according to his riches in glory. These are promises of God. I have come that you may have life, life to the full. It's a promise of God. It's not, a, it's not an option. It's not, a, it's not a perhaps. It's for every child of God. And for us corporately, whoever believes in me will do works I have been doing. And they will do even greater things than these. This is a promise of God. Yes. I haven't yet seen that. Now I can choose to say, well, I'm, I'm not going to bother praying for people anymore because it's too painful. Uh, we haven't seen what I want to see. Uh, if I step out there and nothing happens, I'm going to look foolish and people are going to be embarrassed. I'll, I'll go back. And that is going back to slavery. It's going back to a life that says, I'm not going to try for this anymore. Yes. Or I'll turn around and go to this promise and say, God, you promised this. So I'm not going to do that. I'm going to believe that promise and I'm going to step out and I'm going to pray for even more people because I believe this promise and it's going to happen. Yes. We're going to see more and more people uh, healed because you promised it, Lord. And I'm not going to withdraw. I'm not going to hold back. And I'm, we're going to see more people saved in this community because you promised, God, that the, the, the knowledge of the glory of God will increase as the waters cover the sea. That's your promise to us. And therefore, we're going to see people saved from this community. And therefore, we're going to, we're going to pray for it. We're going to go out on a Friday. We're going to tell people. We're going to tell our friends and our neighbours because your kingdom is an ever-increasing kingdom. That's what you promised. And so we get hold of these promises of God. We don't choose to believe our history, our past. We look to the future. We look to the promise, the one who made it, because he is faithful. Hebrews 10, verse 23 and 24 says this, Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And then he goes on to say, And let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. And so what he's saying in the writer of the Hebrews is, look, we've got the promise, we've got a faithful God, let's encourage one another. Because we do face difficulties. We do face trials. Things don't quite go to plan. We need to come alongside, and I know people do this, we need to encourage each other and say, God is faithful, God has promised. You know, when people are facing financial difficulty, get alongside them and say, actually, God has promised to provide for you. And to encourage them. And to encourage them. Sometimes you be, be the answer to the same prayer That's, uh, but I'm sure we do that but it's to get alongside people who are facing these things 
and we spur one another on and say, actually, God has promised, God is faithful. When we go out onto the street and we talk to people and we come back and uh, some people's had a great time and other people haven't had a very good time, you encourage them. And you say, yeah, but, but, but God sees and God is going to do something in this community. And because we believe it, because God has promised it. There's verses over the, uh, prophecies over the church about uh, it being, look, looking like a, draw, a dwarf. And yet when you get closer, it's a child full of potential. These are prophecies that came years ago, and yet we believe God is going to fulfil them. And there was one about boundary lines being rubbed out and, uh, and the church expanding through these things. These are promises that God brought to us that we get hold of and we believe. And we say, God, you said it. This is your word. You promised. You're faithful. We are believing for this. And therefore, we get up and we keep going. We get to the Red Sea. It parts. We go on. And we believe God. We turn away from our own resources. We, we don't look at ourselves. Yes. We don't think, oh, what can I manage here? What money have I got? What, what time have I got? What, what ability to speak have I got? None of that. Amen. We say, actually, I can't get across the Red Sea. I can't produce water from a rock. I can't produce manna and quail. But God can. And he did. And he will. And he will. Because he's promised. And he's faithful. It's okay to be shaken by circumstances and events in your life. It's okay. It's alright. But what you do then is the key. To go back. Not to yourself. Not to the leaders. But to the faithful God. Who has promised. Who has promised wonderful things over your life. He's promised good to you. Always. All things working together for good. He's promised that for you. And he's promised good things for this church. He's promised good things for this community. Because we're here. And that's what we we rely on. That's what we depend upon. I'm just going to pray, but um, Samuel... (laughs)